Well, we've been doing a series the last six weeks called God Is. And each week we've been looking into the Bible to gain some insights of the attitudes that God has, His priorities, what He's like, what His character is like. Last week, if you were here, remember we talked about Job. And from Job we learned that God can be trusted when life doesn't make sense. Let me say it again. God can be trusted when life doesn't make sense. Well, this morning, I want to start uh, the, uh, my message with a video of an Olympic winter gymnast. Her name was Gabby Douglas. She won two gold medals, and the great thing about it is she was a very young teenager. So I want you to take a peek at this video, and we're going to find an application from the scripture uh, of her pursuit of athletics. My name is Gabrielle Douglas. I'm a gymnast, and I'm a 2012 Olympic hopeful. I started when I was six years old. When I first wanted to do gymnastics, my mom didn't want to put me in because my older sister got hurt. She fractured her wrist in gymnastics, so my mom was scared. But there was a time when I was just flipping off the couches, getting hurt already. So my mom was just, okay, I've had it. You're going to be in gymnastics. Everyone told me I was so good, and I quite didn't realize it at that point, but when I started getting older and seeing myself, you know, win meets and just be good at the sport, I finally realized that I want to go to the Olympics. I am originally from Virginia Beach, Virginia, but in order to make my dreams come true, I had to move to West Des Moines, Iowa, to train with Coach Chow, one of the best coaches in the world. So I told my mom, and she hesitated, but then my siblings, my sisters and brothers, mom, come on, if she really wants it, just move her to Iowa. All right, good. <laughs> There's a lot of sacrifices I had to make in the sport. Here in Iowa, I live with the host family. They host people to come train, and they're an awesome, awesome family. I do homeschool. I can't go to regular school because of the hours I train in the gym. When my mom left, I cried because I didn't want her to leave. I started getting used to it. I mean, she called me every day and we Skype. Squatting 200. <laughs> Being away from your family is definitely hard, but you just like have to learn how to deal with it. I mean. In the end, it will all pay off. <laughs> okay, we're going to have some volunteers to do this right now. Let's see. Penny Hiller, would you stand up? We'd like to see this. Jason, I think you could probably do it. Who else? Or Jack, could you do it? Now, now think about this. This girl's, I don't know, 13, 14 years old. That's a powerful, powerful statement there, going through the air like that. I want you to think of what got her there. She didn't wake up one morning and said, I think I'm going to fly through the air with the greatest of ease. How many know she, people told her that she had great potential, and then she made a commitment that got her there. Now, we're going to talk about this word commitment this morning because you, I want you to think the commitment that she made. How many know commitment is never easy? Commitment costs you something. For her, it cost her deeply the hours upon hours of practice. Who knows? She probably practiced six, eight, ten hours a day just in her sport of gymnastics. 
But then she also had to sacrifice time with family. If you can imagine as a 13-year-old, uh, the best coach she could find to help her prepare for the Olympics was not in her town. So she literally had to move, live with another family. You heard her say that her parents came by at Christmas time, and then she cried when they left. She wanted to go. Another video said she even wanted to go get a job at Chick-fil-A and just go back home. But something inside her compelled her to make the commitment, to make the sacrifice, because the goal or the prize would be worth it. Now, there's a scriptural parallel that I want to draw to this this morning. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. She did it for a gold medal. Now, I want you to think, listen to the sports analogy in 1 Corinthians 9. Paul said, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. Now, he's not saying we're competing against other Christians as we serve the Lord, but he is saying that we need to be very deliberate, very committed to win this race that we're running as believers. All athletes are disciplined in their training. but They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it to win what? An eternal prize. Now, listen, gold medals are cool. Uh, kids, when they you know, play a softball tournament, they get their medals. All that's cool. But you and I are not living for medals on this earth. I mean, no, we're winning for medals and eternal prize from the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. But what I want you to see in this passage comparing athletics, it said that all athletes are disciplined. And if you don't believe that, just check out those kids that are doing two-a-days right now. Come on, those kids that are practicing, those kids that are trying to make the team, that are working in the heat. There's a discipline, there's a commitment, because there's a prize that awaits them. And the title of this morning's message is, Big Commitment, Big Reward. As we've talked about the nature of God, one thing you'll learn from the nature of who God is this morning is God is a God who asks for a big commitment, but He promises a great reward. And I think this is going to help you today. I'm going to challenge you in your spiritual life. Uh, this is not a message to try to recruit you to do something in the church, but rather it is a challenge for you personally to examine your own commitment to Christ. Now, how many know we don't get to heaven by doing good works? The Bible says we're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not by works. Jesus took care of that on the cross. But our response to God because of His offer of salvation is we love Him back. We are committed to Him, and we do what Christ calls us to do. So let's explore the Scripture. We're going to look at two passages primarily that Jesus gave us on this subject. And uh, let's see what Christ had to say because Jesus indeed asks for a big commitment from His followers. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 now, this is obviously very early in the life of Christ. This is before Jesus has His gang of twelve. Uh, this, is, this is the point in time where Jesus is calling these men who's going to, who are going to be His apostles. Verse 18, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Peter and Andrew, His brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Now, I want you to think, so if you can kind of crawl in Peter's shoes, you may not be a commercial fisherman, probably not. But uh, you could be a, a, a teacher, you could uh, work in a restaurant, you could work in the medical profession. I want you to think about your job and your profession and Jesus coming to you with these words. Jesus came to them and He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. In other words, if you will commit yourself to be my follower. And how many know in the Bible, the Bible calls we as Christians many things. We're called Christians and Christians are to be like Christ, imitators of Christ. 
We're called disciples, and a disciple is to learn from the teacher who is Jesus. Uh, we're called believers. It deals with the cognitive element of our Christian faith, believing the right things, the right theology. But it's a belief that compels us to action. But one of the big, big words that we're going to see in the Bible is we're called to follow Christ. And that's where the commitment comes in. Uh, it's very easy to want to miss hell and believe in Christ. But it's an entirely different thing to allow Christ to be the Lord of your life and follow Him in the good places that He's going to lead us. But that's what they did. Jesus said, follow me, and I'm going to give you some sense of eternal purpose. Uh, immediately, what did they do? They left their nets. Now, I mean, no, that was a huge commitment. That's where money came from. That's where income came from. Immediately they left their nets. They followed him. And going on from there, he immediately, or he found two other brothers, James and John, in a boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately, what did they do? They left the boat. In other words, they left their business, but they also left who? Their father. Now, that didn't mean they throw God, threw Dad away. It didn't mean they neglected God. Whenever we see something like this in the Bible, we want to say, what else does the Scripture say about family? I mean, no, we're to honor our mother and father all our days, that our, 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 our days may be long. But yet, there was a priority. There was a shift in relationship with Dad because Jesus had become first in terms of this following. Now, how I many know when they followed Jesus, their source of income was gone? They wouldn't see their family as much. Their predictable life turned upside down, and they traded the known for the unknown. It was a huge commitment, but it was an opportunity to invest in something that would change the world. Now, I want to suggest to you that that same offer is available to you and I today as followers of Christ. Now, let me ask you this question. How many of you, if Jesus were to say to you, come and follow me and leave it all behind, could do it? I hope so. Let me get real practical with you this morning. If Jesus were to come to you and he were to say, okay, I want you to move to, to a desert environment and there's no duck hunting there. How many could leave duck hunting behind? Let me see your hand here. You could totally leave duck hunting behind and never duck hunt a day in your life. Okay. All right. How many of you that just lifted your hands have never been duck hunting? Let me see your... Okay. Okay. So, so that would be easy for you to do. If Jesus came to me and said, uh, leave heroin behind you. I don't take heroin, so that's not a big deal, you know. It, 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 it's nothing to follow Christ if it's not a cost. But what if the Lord called you to go to a foreign country and you're a homebody? What if he called your husband and you kind of like being at home with mom and mom-in-law? What if he called you not just to the French Riviera or to the Caribbean or some, you know, the Swiss Alps, but it was a pretty tough place like India or the coast of Africa there? Would you go? See, this is where the rubber meets the road in the Christian faith. Could you downsize your house? If God put on your heart to support a, an orphanage or a hospital in a foreign land, but you knew it was going to take $1,000 a month and you couldn't do it with your current income, and rather than just waiting around to see if something happened, could you downsize your lifestyle? Now, how many would say to me, these are big things, Pastor? How many, how many young people, oh, how about this? How many could, would, would be willing to give away a lot of money if God asked you to? Now, it's easy to say, well, if you won the lottery, Lord, if you just let me win these numbers here. I mean, it's $110 million, Lord. I would, I would even give... You know, there's a scripture that says if you gamble, you, it's 90% on the tithe, okay? You do know that, don't you? 
I'm just teasing. But, you know, we all think if, you know, this miracle of money came in, let me tell you what you're going to happen if you gamble. The facts are is that most people who gamble end up poorer than they started. I mean, that's the facts. The lure is there, but it's really not out there. How about after church today, if the Lord were to come up to you, and let's say you're walking out the hall, and you're over here a couple talking, and they're saying, Honey, I just don't know what we're going to do. We're going to lose our house tomorrow because I just, you know, I don't have the money, but I don't work, I hurt myself. And you felt the Holy Spirit prompt you. I'm not talking about guilt or shame or anything, but you felt the Holy Spirit say, I want you to make their house payment. Could you just empty your purse or empty your wallet? Now, I'm going to suggest to you, if we can't even allow God to control our finances and our tithing, come on, if, we, if a missionary comes and, and the Holy Spirit says yes and we say no, how in the world could we give a lot? See, this is about commitment, but I want you to hear this. Big commitment, big reward. Now, we're going to see, but this is a challenge in all of our lives, including me. Um, how about if, you, for example, young people here, what if the Lord, when friends are very, very important in your, particularly your younger world, what if the Lord were to call you to leave your circle of friends? And here's why, not because God is mean, it's because your friends, now they got driver's license, they got money, and what they're starting to do is they're going to parties and pots involved and, and drugs, and, and before you know it, they're just headed in the wrong direction, but you know God's calling you this way. Are you committed enough to Christ to walk away from it? See, sometimes our commitment of Christ is to sacrifice, to give up something. I, I stand before you today because when I was 21, 22 years of age, got out of the Navy, and I felt God wanted me to go back to Mississippi, I mean, to go back to California, to where I, I, it's where I it ended up in the Navy. Uh, I wanted to go to Mississippi. That's where my family lived. Uh, my dad was going to go in partnership in him, and I had it all figured out. But the Holy Spirit said, no, this is what I want you to do. Can tell you, it's the hardest thing I ever did. Hardest conversation I ever had with my dad when we, I'd been back two months and he looked at me and he said, you've got a round ticket, don't you? And I said, yes, sir, I do. See, sometimes God's call on our life. But let me say this, God's call is not to hurt us. We'll see later, it's a good thing when God calls this. Now, let me ask you this question. Back to the disciples, he asked them to leave their boat and their dad. Uh, was this level of commitment uh, that they had, was it the exception or the rule? Think about this. In other words, are all Christians called to live sacrificially like that, or, or, or was this something unique to them? I'll suggest two things. Number one, I'll suggest the specifics of it, leaving fishing nets. How many have fishing nets? Let me see your hand that you earn your living by. Not a soul in this room. So that's obviously very specific to them of how they made their living. But it could well be that God might call you to do something. Let me say this. God may not call you to leave fishing nets, but He is calling you to follow Him. And that's the scripture that I want you to hear. You'll hear it multiple times this morning, is there is a call that comes from Jesus himself to follow him. Wherever that may lead, whatever God may call you to do. I'm here today in this pulpit as well because God called me to leave a little church in Palestine and come here to Texarkana. Uh, you know, there's other places on the planet I might have chosen if I was in a choosing mode. But how many know when God makes an assignment, that's when we want to say yes to Him. That's the nature of our Christian life. Now, commitment by definition means to invest your time and your resources in something important. That is, whatever you're committed to in life. If you're committed to... Sports, how many know you're going to find that aluminum bat even if it costs $250? If you're committed to golf, you're going to find a $1,000, $15, 100 pair of golf clubs. 
If you're committed to buying golf balls, you know you might could get a dozen for whatever they are, 20 bucks, but the $40 ones are better. I mean, we just, we, we, we put our time and resources in what we're committed to in life. Now, I'm going to suggest to you that there's a difference as a Christian. Well, first of all, that's why football players are out there right now in two-a-days. Remember the days? I mean, it's been 100 degrees last week. Do you know why those young men are out there playing ball? I can tell you exactly why they're doing two-a-days, and it's just about to kill them. I can tell you why. It's because they want to chase those cheerleaders on Friday nights between those goalposts. I'm telling you. So you're willing to make the sacrifice because of the reward. That if you make the commitment to do it, if the coach is just saying, get off the ground, son. Come on, you're going to make it. You're not going to quit like everybody else because there's a dream in front of you. And can I tell you, it's the exact same thing as Christians because one day you're going to stand before Jesus Christ. One day you're going to look at Him eyeball to eyeball. And for the very first time, here's what I hope Jesus says to me, well done, good and faithful servant. I look forward to Jesus saying, well done, John Miller. And you know, the Lord still knows you in heaven. You remember when, when, when Moses came back to the earth, transfiguration, Elijah, that they were known. They had their own sense of personality and self. One day God's going to look at you and he's going to say, I hope, well done. And those people that he says well done to are the people that made an extraordinary commitment. Now let me say this to you. There's a difference between a casual commitment to Christ, a convenient uh, a commitment, and an extraordinary commitment. Imagine with me this. Imagine that, uh, let's say I've got a brother-in-law that lives in, in Sulphur Springs. And Jason's going to Sulphur Springs, and I've got a package. I've got to get to him. He's got to have it today. His car's broken down, and let's say I had the part, and well, he's a mechanic. And, and I said, Jason, can you drop this off? You're going to Dallas today. And he said, well, sure, I can. It's no big deal. Okay, Jason, just get off that gas station, Sulphur Springs, you know, the one right off the interstate. Uh, they got some sandwiches and stuff in there. And look, I'll give you a couple bucks, and, you know, you get you something to eat and on your way to Dallas. I mean, oh, that's a nice thing to do, but it's very convenient. What if he wasn't going to Dallas? And then you say on your day off, Jason, i got a problem, man. I just can't go. But would you be willing to take this, pass, this package to my brother? Commitment is not as convenient anymore. This is it's not always convenient for us. Maybe the Holy Spirit saying, I want you to take a lunch break and mentor young men in one of our schools in town. Kids that don't have a daddy. Listen, principals are asking all the time. They don't have a daddy. They don't have a male role model. Would you just come and have lunch with them and just be an example to them? Yeah, I know, but that's the day that I... See, and I'm not saying that the preacher's putting an obligation on you. I'm saying when the Holy Spirit is trying to get you to do something. I committed my... How about if this is for Jason? Let's say it's not Jason's day off. Let's say Jason's working and Jason works on commitment, on commission. I mean, no, no work, you no know, Edie, when you're on commission. And I asked him to go that day because the brother had the part. So now not only does he have to go on an inconvenient day, now he's not going to make any money. And can you see how the level of sacrifice goes up and up? And I challenge you, our Christian life is often lived that very same way. Sometimes commitments are easy. Sometimes they're convenient. But sometimes they're downright sacrifice. But I'm telling you, big commitment, big reward. Big reward. We'll, we'll see it coming. Let's look a little further this morning. Uh, Luke chapter 18 Luke 18, now it's a, a familiar passage, and it's contrasting what the Scripture calls the rich young ruler who wants eternal life, and, and he's going to contrast this to Jesus' disciples, Peter in particular. But let's start with this rich young ruler first. 
A rich young leader asked Jesus this question, Good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Now pause just a moment because I suggest to you eternal life is the most important issue there is. We can't comprehend it because everything we know has days and weeks and months associated with it. But I want you to think about eternity for just a minute. The Bible says that eternity is not a time-oriented experience. Eternity goes on and on and on and on and on and never has an end. It's like the little squiggly mark and in, in infinity mark in, in, uh, uh, in math. Let me illustrate it this way. I want you to imagine that, that this is your life and this is like a rock. Okay, This is one rock. And I want you to imagine this is your life and let's try to compare it to eternity. This rock. Uh, if you notice when you walk in, we've got a lot of rocks in the flower beds here. And if you would add up all those rocks and maybe all the rocks uh, by the entrance, both sides of the road, and then all the rocks that are on the other side of the entrance to Powerhouse, and then how about all the rocks that were in the parking lot, all those new load of rocks that we put in, and all the rocks and pebbles that they used to make the concrete. Let's just grab a number and say it's a trillion rocks right here on Church on the Rock property, okay? But then I want you to think of every road. Right now, the, uh, in Texas, the, uh, the politicians just approved a bunch of more money for the road fund. Well, when you've got to make a road bed, you haul tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of gravel. And if they are just quadrillions of rocks, and that's just on a few roads in Texas. If you were able to go through the entire state of Arkansas and every stream you stopped at, you counted every rock that was there. Every time there was a, uh, uh, when you were going down the road and they cut a road through the mountain, every rock that had found itself in placement there, and you did that all over the entire world, and this one rock was your life, every rock on the entire planet would be like one day of eternity. So eternity is beyond our comprehension, arguably, the most important question there is. And this guy's question was, what do I have to do to get there? Now, verse 20. And he was a very religious man. He was a committed follower of Christ, or, or of God. Uh, and he said, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus quotes the Ten Commandments. But I want you to listen, because how many know there were Ten Commandments? Jesus only quotes five. And see if you can pick out what he quoted. He said, well, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't lie, and honor your father and mother. Now, those are all commandments relating how you treat other people. And he said something pretty incredible. He said, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. And then Jesus said this, well, there's just one thing you lack if you want eternity. In other words, you've got one commitment I want you to make for, for eternity. And he said, I want you to sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and then you'll have eternal life. Now, Jesus was not trying to tell him he could buy his way into heaven, but what he was saying, he was showing this man that he was more committed to something else other than God. Well, and then come, and what did Jesus say do? Follow me. Well, when the man heard this, he became very sad because he was very rich. And when Jesus saw this, he said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. I want you to think about this. Those five commandments that he quoted all had to do with how you treat people. You know which ones he left out? The first four commandments that dealt with how you relate to God. And you know what the first one is? You shall have no other gods before me. He quoted from the book of Exodus, the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. He did, and the God was money. And the last commandment Jesus didn't quote, it was number 10. It says, you shall not covet what another person has. So clearly this young man cared more about money and things and possessions than he did about God. So he traded his eternal soul 
for a few bucks because he was more committed to something that had a short duration to it than he was eternal things. 1 Timothy 6, 9 warns us as believers about this. It says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into what? Destruction. Destruction. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Now, the Bible does not say money is the root of all evil. If you think that's true today, some of your friends around you would be happy to take that evil green stuff out of your, you know, away from you. Just, just give it to them and, and you'll have a crowd of people. No, the love of money. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. In other words, money can pull you out of hell if money has your heart. Because here's the deal. Your heart, there's only room for one great love in your heart. And that's a love for God. And how many know Jesus said you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. Amen. Now, what money had become to this rich young man is the same thing it can become to us, an idol. And an idol is anything in our lives that become more important, anything in our life that we're more committed to than God. How many know an idol can be sports? If I'm honest, when I was young, sports were probably my God. I, 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 they, I idolized them. My whole life revolved around sports. I mean, an idol can be a hobby, except for turkey hunting or duck hunting. But every other hobby can become an idol in your life if it's what you think about. How many know your house can become an idol? How many know your physical body can become an idol? Why do you think they have so many mirrors in, in workout rooms? Now, is it wrong to exercise? No. Is it wrong to have a hobby? No. Is it wrong to have money? No. But it's wrong if these things become first. Because it's what I'm committed to. And listen, the evidence is not just what you say in your head. The evidence is where your time goes. Come on. It's where your energy goes. It is something wrong if I can get up at four in the morning to go hunt a duck, but I can't get up early and have a devotion time. It is something wrong if I can find money for the sale now, you know, listen, you're already over budget, but they, listen, Dillard's just came out with not only 30%, but you get an extra 40% off. Come on. Come on. There is money somewhere. But if you can find money for that and you can't find money for the missionary, something's wrong. See, y'all have got, gotten quiet on me. And let me say this, God's not trying to steal our happiness by asking for a sacrifice. Let me tell you what God is like. God is like the coach that's coaching those teams. Now, I don't know which one is ranked early to be, you know, a contender. But imagine if you're a coach and you've got a team that you're convinced. You've watched these young kids since the eighth grade, and I mean, they've just got it together. These kids have a potential to win not only conference but district, and these kids may go to state. And when that coach tells them to get out there, that they need to be on the weight machine at 6, when that coach tells them to get off the ground, son, and he kicks them in the rear, and he's just in their face, and he's pushing them, and he makes them run laps when they drop the ball, he's not doing that because he doesn't care about them. He's doing that because he wants them to win the prize. He's doing that because he, he's pulling them off the ground. And he said, son, you've got, more, you've got potential to be a Division I football player, but if you're lazy, you're not going to make it. Now get your blank out there. Come on, i got to have you. See, when he's telling those kids, listen, we can go to state this year. You're going to be a senior, son. You're the quarterback. You need to lead your team. 
He's not being mean to them. When he tells them you can't go out and drink beer and don't be drinking soda pops, come on, and go to bed by 10 o'clock at night, he's not trying to be mean. He's trying to tell them if you'll make the commitment, you'll get a prize that'll be worth it. And that is exactly what Jesus Christ does when he calls us to make great commitments. Come on, give him a big hand this morning. Now, let's go back to our conversation where the young man told God no. He walked away from Jesus because he said, basically, I love my money more. Peter's standing right there. And I want you to listen to what Peter said in verse 28. Simon Peter said, we have left our... Wow. I like my house. How about you? We've left our homes to follow you. And then I want you to listen to what Jesus... And let me say this to you. I doubt... Jesus would ask any of us in our lifetime to give up our homes. I don't think he will, but he could. And the question is, would I do it if he asked me to? That's the question. And then I wanted you to listen to his answer. You know, oftentimes I think we, we try to take words of the Bible and make them a direct promise to us when they may be more contextualized around the people of the day. But in this particular case, there's a promise to you and a promise to me. Listen to what Jesus said to Peter. I assure you that everyone who's given up houses or wives, and that doesn't mean get rid of your wife because there's a cuter one, okay? Not what that means. What that means is probably something like this. A Larry Meyer is going to the mission field and he's got to go for two weeks and he leaves his wife behind. Anyone that's given up a house, wife, brothers... I did that. Parents, I've done that. Or children for the sake of the kingdom of God. Now listen, when you read something like that, you've got to ask yourself the question, what else does the Bible say about family? The Bible says, honor your father and mother. Come on, as your days may be long. Uh, 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 if you don't provide for your own family, you're worse than an infidel. A lot of people will try to use this scripture to justify they just don't like where they are and they're not happy and they want to do something different. But, but in this case, this was something that was led by God and done for God. And notice the promise, verse 30. He will be repaid how much? Many times over in this life. And he'll have what? Eternal life in the world to come. So listen, what the Scriptures, Jesus is saying, if you make a big commitment to me, I'm going to reward you. If, you. if you make the sacrifice, I promise you it's going to be worth it. Now, I mean, no, we're not serving God for what He can give us. We're, we're serving Him because we love Him, and the life of service is what we all owe Him in honor back return. But Jesus has said, look, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pay you back. I'm going to give you something that's going to bless your socks off. Now, John chapter 6, let me say this. It's hard to make a big commitment. Everybody said? Amen. You know, it is somewhat easy in church to say, yeah, I do it. But when you're in the nasty now, and you feel that tug of the Holy Spirit, it's not the guilt of the pressure of another person, but you feel God compelling you. Let me give you a, a parallel story. Chapter, uh, Luke, uh, John 6, verse 60. Jesus is now, has held a discourse calling himself the bread of life, which basically that he is the source of life and he is the source of, of, of vitality and the source of their provision. And uh, he makes it pretty hard. He said, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now, Jesus is not saying you're to be cannibals. But he's using a metaphor about the way that we're to be impacted by his spiritual offering. Well, anyway, they heard it, and many of the disciples says this, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? 
It's hard. It's hard, Lord, to love your wife as Christ loved the church. It's hard to submit your husband as unto the Lord. It's hard to make a covenant with your eyes not to look lustfully at a woman. It's hard not to be greedy. It's hard to be angry and sin not. It's hard not to gossip on Facebook. <laughs> it's hard to be kind to people who are not kind to you. It's hard to turn the other cheek. It's hard to care for the poor and the needy and the neglected when all your friends are going to another party. Can I tell you, it's a hard saying sometimes, but here's the challenge. Well, I rise to the occasion. How committed am I to Christ? How much do I love Him? What would I do if He asked me to do? Is it just when it's convenient? Or am I committed a step broader than that? Well, um, He asked him if it offended them in verse 66. From this time, notice, many of the disciples and they no longer followed Him. See, now that's been the theme all along. Our salvation is a free gift from believing in Christ. But our choice to follow Him, it's the difference between Christ as Savior and following Him as Lord. I'm telling you, buddy, that's where the rubber meets the road. And I suggest to you it is even the evidence of the reality of our salvation. Jesus is looking for followers, and sometimes it's going to be hard. Now, it's an incredible response in verse 67 because Simon Peter is standing there, and Jesus looked at him. First of all, he didn't try to stop the people. But in 67, he said, do you want to leave too? He asked the twelve, and Simon Peter said this, Lord, to whom shall we go? Say it with me. You have the words of eternal life. Now hear me on this one, particularly you that have charismatic Pentecostal backgrounds. Oftentimes we do things because we feel the leading of the Lord, because it feels like the right thing to do. It's got some emotion into it, and we hope it's spiritual, but, but it's kind of in that, that feeling realm. Peter didn't have any feeling whatsoever. Peter made a calculated decision. Peter looked at the promise of eternity and eternal life, and he looked at the shallowness of everything else, and Peter said this, if it means living in a smaller house, I'll live it. If it means selling my bass boat, I'll sell it. Come on. If it means getting up in the morning an hour early because you want me at a discipleship breakfast, I'm going. If it means giving up my Thursday night because there's kids to be discipled, I'm going. If it means taking my vacation and going to southern Mexico to touch the mission field, if you've called me to go, I'm going. If it means emptying my billfold out to someone that's in great need, I'm doing it. Now, I want to tell you, that is easy to stand behind the pulpit and say, but it's hard to live out. And I'm telling you, you just saw in this passage, most of the Christians, when Jesus talked to them like that, they walked away. But there were others that saw that there was a great prize commensurate with the great commitment. And the Simon Peters of life said, that's the way that I'm going. I may want to be like Simon Peter this morning. Come on. I do too. Give him one more big hand this morning. I'm about done. I'm going to close with one last scripture. What I've been telling you is not unique to the words of Jesus. Paul the Apostle said this. And he reminds us that God is going to greatly reward us for our commitment to follow Christ. Now, 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul the Apostle, he is likely in prison he is, this is likely the last book of the Bible that he would write. He's at the latter part of his life. And listen to how he lived. He said, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. Don't you think about 
If, if, if this water were an offering to God, as you see sometimes in the Scripture, and you open it up and you pour it on the ground, how many know you can't drink it after that once it's hit the ground? It's been given away. I have to, sometimes in my life, I look in the mirror and I know that maybe I'm not giving myself to God. Maybe I'm just wanting God to do some nice things for me. Maybe I'm saying, Santa, I'd like a four-wheeler. Santa, I'd like uh, this. Uh, I'd like that. Now, the Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he gives you the desires of your heart. But it's not just God giving us the desires of our heart. Come on, we need to be following Him. And sometimes there's the sacrifice involved. But Paul said, I live my life this way. Every big commitment God asked me to, I did it. I gave my life to Him fully and completely. But he didn't stop there. He said, the time of my death is near. And listen to what he said. He said, I fought the good fight. Now, I don't mean duking it out with somebody that disagrees with you. But how many know it's a wrestling match inside sometimes to do the will of God? I fought the good fight. I prayed through the spiritual warfare. I prayed through all the naysayers. I finished the race. You know, your life is like a race. I was involved in two funerals this week. Pat Stewart's son died. And how many know no mother should ever have to bury her son? Second one I went to was a good friend. Used to go to church here many years ago, Dr. Dan Moore. He's an oral surgeon. He, uh, he was pull, pulled one of our staff members' teeth last Thursday, wisdom teeth. Uh, another girl that I know uh, has been working at the church pulled her teeth on Tuesday. He had a massive stroke, I think it was Thursday morning, and, and he died that night. And when I went to the funeral home and, and, I, and I looked at that casket, and he wasn't there anymore. I mean, no, that's, that's, the, that's, that's the house that you lived in. That's not the real you. But I went there, and it, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. His race is over. See, we kind of think like I got tomorrow and the next day. Come on. Jason and I were planning something for this fall already. It's several months away. We're, we're kind of living like that. But, but you never know when your race is going to be over. You, you don't wait till tomorrow to get seriously committed to God. Do it today. He said, I finished my race, and I remained what? Faithful. It doesn't say I never made a mistake, but it said I remain faithful to God. And then he says this to us. In other words, wouldn't you say that's a big commitment? Then listen to what he says. Now, he said, now the prize awaits me. There's a reward. He said, it's the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And can I tell you, on that day, it won't make any difference what's showing at the movie theater. On that day, it won't make any difference what the stock market is doing. On that day, it won't make any difference on the grade you got on the test. Until that, it does, kids. But, but on that day, it does not matter. It won't make any difference if you got a hole in one or not. Here's what will matter. He said, uh, the Lord will give me on that day. But notice this next phrase, and I want you to read it with me. It said, the prize is not just for me, but who's it for? All of us who eagerly look forward to his appearing. And that's the message I leave to you this morning. God asks for a big commitment. That's the kind of God he is. But he's the God who promises a great reward. And he's keeping score every day of your life. And my prayer for you is that you finish strong. Come on. And that your life matters in this world for Christ. He asks for a big commitment. But he promises a great reward. Come on, give him a big hand today. He's worthy of praise.
going to put that picture back up of Gabby Douglas. I'm sure you're going to go home this afternoon and practice this. <laughs> I would break. You would have to call two ambulances to get me to the hospital. Now, I want you to think about Gabby, and she's a Christian, by the way, and she used her success as a platform. See, there's a lot of, like I watch hunting shows, and guess what? Some of them, they pray and they're Christians, and they use their passion to reach people for Christ. Some of them say, I'm just so passionate about my sport, and that's all I'm into. Think about it. Some of them get their gold liberal and say, look what I did. Others point a finger to heaven and say, look what God did. So whatever you're successful at can become your platform to reach people for Christ. She was a Christian, but I want you to think about this in the medals. If you were to compare her to the Apostle Paul, what we just read. Now, how many know both of them had a coach, and they did exactly what that coach said? Gabby's coach, she moved to be with him, and whatever she'd say to do in training, that's what she'd do, and the coach led her to the Olympics. The coach of Paul had was the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus, he did everything that Jesus asked him to do. Gabby was also like Paul, is that it took hard work, and she didn't quit, though she could have. Paul did the same thing. He didn't quit. He stayed with it. He worked hard. But there's something that they're different at. That gold medal that's on that silver screen there that Gabby won, that's only going to have value here on this earth. The prize that Paul the Apostle will receive will have value for all eternity. That's my challenge to you today. Live for what matters for eternity. Stand to you on your feet, and we're going to sing a song. And I'm going to ask you not to turn it off just yet, but give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to let this sink deeply in your heart. Go ahead, sing, Pastor Nick. You might ask yourself, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? And I cannot hear your voice. I'll hold on to what is true, though I cannot see. If the storms of life they come and the road ahead gets steep, I will lift these hands in faith and I will believe. And I remind myself of all that you've done and the life I have because of your just a moment and kind of that's a good way to shut everybody else out just kind of a moment with you and God and I want you to just say this Holy Spirit what are you saying to me just give him the right to shine the light on you and, 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 and maybe he's asking you what kind of commitment that you've made to him I don't mean if you're a Christian or saved but is it a convenient commitment is it I'll pick the package up if I'm going to Dallas, but man, I just can't do it if I'm not headed that way. Is it a convenient commitment that'll never get you to the Olympics, or is it an extraordinary commitment? That's what Simon Peter had. That's what that young rich ruler didn't have. He had a small God box, 
And when God wanted something outside of the box, he said no. Would you just right now say, Lord, I don't want to say no to you. I want to say yes to you. Just tell him that right now. I don't want to say no to you. I want to say yes to you. Maybe the Holy Spirit's put his finger on an idol in your life today. Maybe the evidence of your life, not just what you think in your head, but the evidence of your life suggests you are more committed to other things than you are to Christ. Maybe it's where your money goes. Maybe it's where your time goes. Maybe it's what excites you. Maybe it's what you give your energies to. Maybe it's where you volunteer. I'm not trying to put anything on you, but if the Holy Spirit is, I want you to just say yes to Him. Because, Lord, the prayer of every one of us in this room is we want to follow you wherever you lead us. Would you just say that prayer? Say, Jesus, I want to follow you wherever you lead. And I want to ask you, to, I give you the right today to work on me to get me there. And I sure appreciate that you care about me. Hey, let's close this way this morning. If you're here, I'd like to make a personal opportunity for prayer for you. Sometimes I find in my own personal life there's a need to respond. There's a need to take someone and pray with them. It's a need to say a word to someone. Maybe you're here today and maybe you know the thing that God's asking you, an idol in your life. And there's something powerful about a confession. Not to embarrass you and in confidence, but just simply to say, I got something that I'm, that's pretty important in my life. And, and, and I think God's put his finger on it today. And I, I want to do what's right. For some of us, it may be we just get rid of it totally. For others, we just put it in its place and let Christ be in his rightful place. Maybe it's that. Maybe, it's, maybe it's, it's, it's hard to make a commitment. Maybe you're in a relationship with somebody that's pulling you the wrong way and the Holy Spirit has convicted you of that and, and you want prayer for that. Something powerful happens when you agree with God. But whatever it may be, most importantly, if you're here today and say, Pastor, what I need most of all is a relationship with Christ. I don't have the willpower to do this and what I really need is I need Jesus to change my life. I need to be born again. I need to be saved. When I shared my story about my friend in the funeral home, you, you may not even know if you'd go to heaven or hell if you were to die. Can I tell you, friend, nothing more important because all eternity is at stake. You can make a commitment of your life to Christ. We'll show you how to receive Him as your Savior. We'll give you some things to help you follow Him in the next step. Maybe you're here and you've kind of just gotten away from God and your spiritual life's in a lull and you feel a need to commit afresh to Christ. Whatever it is, we'll pray for you. But right now, let me just encourage you. Our prayer team is coming to the altar right now. And if you want to respond to any of these opportunities for prayer, you just come and let us pray for you. As our prayer team comes, just slip out right behind them and say, pray for me, and God will make a difference in your life. I love you very much. Every promise comes my way